Well, good morning. It is great to be with you all this morning. If I didn't meet you on the way in, my name is Kendall Age. I serve as the lead pastor here, and it is a joy to start a new book of the Bible with you this morning, the book of Revelation. Well, the year was 1790, and they call it the Compromise of 1790. The United States government, brand new, was in deadlock. There were two factions that wanted different things. There were two very influential Virginians who wanted to relocate the capital city of the United States from the north down to where it is right now in Washington, D.C. The south wanted the capital to move south. The north opposed it. Meanwhile, the immigrant Alexander Hamilton wanted to create a a strong federal government with a strong banking system. The North was with him, but the South opposed that. And so there was this deadlock. You may have seen the musical about this. It's amazing, really, that there was a popular musical about this kind of history called Alexander Hamilton. I'm going to let the, the song tell us the rest of what happened I'm going to read the song, don't worry. Three people had already stood up and started to leave before I said, I'm just going to read the song. Um, I'm going to let the song tell us what happened next. It says, two Virginians and an immigrant walk into a room. Diametrically opposed foes. They emerge with a compromise, having opened doors that were previously closed. The immigrant emerges with unprecedented financial powers, a system he can shape however he wants. The Virginians emerge with the nation's capital. And here's the piece de resistance. No one else was in the room where it happened. The room where it happened. The room where it happened. No one really knows how the game is played, the art of the trade, how the sausage gets made. We just assume that it happens. But no one else is in the room where it happened. The song tells the story of the room where it happened. And you think about this, it is really remarkable. Like, we, we live in a republic, but three people walked into a room and decided to move the capital of the United States of America. And it happened that way. And the song does a good job, not just telling the history of that, but, but kind of stirring up that desire within us to want to be in the room where it happens. How in the world did three people decide together to move the capital of the United States and then all of that flowed from that one meeting? We want to know what's going on. We want to know sort of behind the curtain, the why behind the what of whatever's going on in the world. But the fact is, if you're not in the room where it happens, or if somebody who was in that room doesn't come out and tell you, you can't know. There are some things in life we cannot know. Some things that are, are outside of our reach. We're just left in the dark. And unless we're in the room, or told by somebody who was in the room, we simply will not know. The book of Revelation was written to tell us 
was written to tell us what happens in the room where it happens. What's going on that we had no ability to access this knowledge or information? What's going on that we need to know? It takes us into the ultimate room where it happens. Heaven itself, where John is brought in by special invitation from God Himself. This is, you know how news stations, they like to like, they like to be the one who breaks the news, you know, exclusively on CNN, and they'll tell you what's going on? Well, this was the biggest scoop ever, exclusively by John the Apostle, invited by God into the room where it happened. So that John would come out and not keep that knowledge, special knowledge to himself, but so that he could tell us. Because God wants to prepare us how to live. And so he told John some things we couldn't have known, but we need to know. So with that, let's, let's look at the book of Revelation. We're going to begin, as seems appropriate, in chapter 1. And the first few verses... We'll be in verses 1 through 8 this morning together. So follow along with me as we read. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will Wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Father, we ask that as we read and seek to understand your word, that you would fill this room with your spirit, that you would give us insight and understanding into your word, and that you would transform us by your word because of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so what is this book? What is this book that we have in front of us, this book of Revelation? Well, first, it's a letter. You've written letters. You've written a letter to this person or that. You probably haven't written a letter quite like this. 
But it is a letter. It's a letter in some ways similar to the kinds of letters that the Apostle Paul was known to have written, right? He wrote letters to Ephesus and to Colossae and to Galatia and to Thessalonica. We have those in our Bible. We're used to reading New Testament letters. This is a letter, but not from Paul. It is, as verse 4 says, from John. From John to the seven churches that are in Asia. This is the John who was the disciple of Jesus, the Apostle John. He wrote the book of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And now God has commissioned him to write the book of Revelation as well. And it says it's to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, Asia did not mean to John what it means to us today. Asia back then was not a continent. In fact, it wasn't that big of an area. It was sort of the western part of the country of Turkey at the time. So that was the, the region that was known as Asia. And these seven churches are seven historic cities that were there in western Turkey at that time. So, he is writing to them. So it's a letter, but it's also a prophecy. It's a prophecy. We see this in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what's written in it, for the time is near. Now, we often think of prophecy as telling the future. And, and that does... That is a part, often, of prophecy. Prophecy in God's Word does tell the future at times. But its focus is not on foretelling as much as it is on exhorting. The focus of prophecy is, is to call God's people to change. It's to call them to live differently. And often, it's to call them to live differently now in light of what's coming. But the focus always comes back to how then shall we live? What does it look like to follow the Lord in light of what's been said to us? So church, right up front, as we get started, expect to be confronted by this book. It is the voice of the Father that speaks to us through this. It is the Son of God whose face is pressed out from the pages exhorting us to faithfulness. It is the Spirit who is called holy who will call us to be more Christ-like through this book. That's why verse 3 says, Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. Because this is not primarily about them at some time. It's primarily about how are we responding to the Lord in our time. If we come to Revelation to answer questions about the future, that's okay. But if we come to answer questions about the future, but not the heart to change how we're living in the present, we have come with the wrong heart. God help us. So it's a letter, it's a prophecy, and it's also apocalyptic literature. It's apocalypse. The opening phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Greek word for revelation there is apocalypsis. It's where we get the word apocalypse, if you couldn't tell from the Greek. Right? So it's, it's actually, if we could just say, it's the apocalypsis 
of Jesus Christ. This is where the whole book get it, gets its title. The apocalypse is a certain kind of biblical prophecy. If you were here in Sunday school this morning, we were just talking about that. If you've been here through any of the Daniel series, we've been talking about that. But, but the big thing about apocalypse is that it speaks to us through symbols. It speaks through images and pictures that are, that are meant to be understood and interpreted in symbolic ways. Not in the kind of newspaper way that we might get from other sections of Scripture. This announces to us, hey, second word of the whole text, I'm apocalypse. Okay. So we should expect symbolism. And in fact, we get lots of symbolism already. The first one is in verse 4 when John says, John, to the seven churches who are in Asia. So we need to understand this in two ways. The first is, John was actually writing to the seven churches in Asia. He's going to actually have a section to each one of them as we get to chapters 2 and 3. But seven is also the number of fullness, and it was chosen on purpose here. John is not just writing to the seven churches in Asia. He's writing to the fullness of the churches, to all the churches at all times in all places. This is a universal message to the universal church. So, what is this book? It is a letter. It is prophecy. It is apocalypse. How do we have this book? How did this come to you and to be sitting in your lap today? Well, this is where God is inviting us into the room where it happened. Revelation is full of things entirely outside of our ability to know. Entirely outside of our ability to reason ourselves to. You cannot get from here to there unless God takes you there. Unless God decides to reveal things which we could otherwise have no access to at all. So verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness. So, follow with me this chain of understanding. First, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him. This is remarkable. How much of a room where it happens was this? Jesus didn't know until God gave him this revelation. That is a profound reality. Talk about being invited in to know what's going on in this universe. So first, God reveals this plan of, of salvation, this revelation to Jesus Christ. And then Jesus makes it known to an angel. He made it known by sending it to his angel, to his servant John. So here's, here's the, the chain of events. God reveals this to Jesus, who reveals this to an angel, who reveals this to John, who reveals this to us. That's how we know. That's how we know what happens. Because God desired that we know what happened. Why is God telling us this? It's to bless us. Verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, 
for the time is near. Why? If we were to ask, why do we have revelation? Because God wants to bless you. That's why. Because He wants to bless His church. How do we, how do we get in on that? Well, blessed is the one who reads it, and who hears it, and who does it. So this is, this is not the, the kind of hearing that just kind of bounces off your ears. This is that give attention to the words of the Lord. Treat them as the words of the Lord. Then apply them as the words of the Lord. And there's blessing on that path. Let's, let's go get some blessing, friends. We get to study this together over the coming weeks and months that we might be blessed. That's exciting. That's wonderful. All right. That's how we have this book. Now, what time period does Revelation address? What is the time period that this is trying to address? There are two time markers for us in this section. Verse 1 says that God gave this to Jesus to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. I'll note that it says things that must soon take place. That is, soon in reference to John, not to you. Right? John writing this, experiencing this a few decades after the coming of Christ. And John is told that this is things that must soon take place in reference to that time period. And then verse 3, which we've read a couple times, we should read it again. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The time is near. Now these are surprising time markers at the beginning the book of Revelation, because, well, 2,000 years have gone by. So how is it that the message of this book was, was back then near to them? Close at hand. Soon to take place. So the focus of the book of Revelation is the change that the world undergoes as a result of what happened with Jesus. So, so sometimes I think we can, we can forget how big this was. For thousands of years, human history went along. And went along and went along. And you know what? Jesus was not physically on a throne during that time. He had not yet died for people's sins. He had not yet been risen. He had not yet ascended. And He was not yet seated at the right hand of the Father. But something happened right about this time, where Jesus came to earth, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, took the sin of all of His people, died, was raised, was ascended, and sat down to reign. And that changed everything from that point on in human history. Everything has to change. What, what is exactly everything that has to change? That's what the book's about. The everything that has to change. It doesn't say things that will take place. It says things that must take place. Things must take place because there is now a new sheriff in town. The universe is under new management. Things are going to be different. How are they going to be different? That's what's being revealed here. So, does that mean that Revelation doesn't talk about the future? No, that doesn't mean that. Revelation does talk about 
the future. Future to John and future to us. It does address the end of the church age. But its focus is on the church age. That's the focus of the book. Including the end of the church age. But when it talks about the end of the church age, it's always in reference back to those living during the church age. That we could be prepared. That we would follow the Lord. That we could be blessed in 2023 as we read what's going on. So that's the time period. The time period simply said is the church age. And a lot of this began right away in John's time, soon to take place, because Jesus had just sat down at the time and had begun to execute His plan of telling the nations about grace. That's the time period. Now, you've ever read Revelation before. It's kind of a scary book. If we were to get really quality pictures of the images in here, you wouldn't show them to your younger kids. Because it's nightmare stuff. And here's the thing. It's real. You can't tell them, oh, it was just a nightmare. Don't worry. You're back to reality. This is describing reality. And what it describes in this church age is difficult. It is full of enemies and suffering. There are martyrs crying out to God for justice from beneath the altar. There are riders on horseback bringing war and bringing famine and bringing plague. There are seals and trumpets and bowls of the wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. There's a harlot seducing God's people to run from God. A dragon seeking to slay God's people. Satan at work through multiple beasts making war on the saints. How are we to live in light of this? I want to say some things now from the introduction of the book that we need to remember through the book. That's why it's in the introduction. Right? Put here so that we remember this message as we experience, you know, through preaching, the, the, the seals of God's wrath and the bowls of God's wrath and all that we, we see that it's about to come. We can't forget what's in this section. How are we to live at such a time as this? It turns out that the age of grace is also an age of trouble. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace, to you and peace. Those aren't throwaway lines. These are, these are lines of John's prayer and God's promise to us. Grace and peace to you. Grace is, is God's gift that gives us what we need. It could be forgiveness of sin. It could be grace to grow in holiness. Grace to persevere. Grace to walk through suffering. Grace to embrace Jesus when nobody else does. Grace to stand for Jesus in your class when you're going to get made fun of. It's strength to live. Peace is what we experience when we've been given grace. Oh, oh, He gives strength? Oh, He's going to help me with this? Oh, I don't have to do this alone. Oh, I... He is going to help me to persevere. He gives grace. 
then I can have peace. And this is how it begins. Grace and peace. Now, it's not just grace and peace to you, but it is grace and peace to you from three persons. Follow along. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. Here we are speaking of the Father. And it's, He's being spoken of in eternal terms. The one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come. starts with the one who is, supposed to take us back to the book of Exodus, where God first reveals Himself as the God, I am. I am. I am Yahweh, the self-existent and always existent one. He is the God who is. He is the God who was. He is the God who is to come. This is ultimate sovereignty being spoken of. Over every corner, of over every time, God is God of all time. He is the Father. He is the Lord of history. And it is the Lord of history who says, I will give you grace and peace, regardless of where in history you happen to be. This is from the Father. And then next, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne. Again, second time in this one passage, we find the number seven, speaking of the fullness of the Spirit of God. This is the Holy Spirit before the throne. The Spirit is fully present, fully active, fully engaged. His attendance and activity is, is not divided. And if the Father wills that we have grace and peace, the Spirit will bring it to His church. So this is grace and peace from the Father and from the Spirit, and then, as we would expect, from the Son. But not just from the Son. He is described in detail in three unique ways that are given to Him in verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. He is Jesus' faithful witness. Friends, the book of Revelation is going to call us to be faithful witnesses. It's going to call us to follow Christ when the world isn't following Christ. It will follow, call us to follow Christ into persecution and into suffering and for some, very clearly, into death. And if we follow Him there, we are following Him there. Because He is the faithful witness. He is the one who blazed this trail of being faithful to His Father unto death. And to the extent that He calls us, He calls us to walk not one step further than He Himself has already walked. How do we walk this road? Look to your example, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. But He's not just the faithful witness, He's also the firstborn from the dead. Did He die as faithful witness? Yes, He did. But the story didn't end there, did it? He is also the firstborn from the dead. Not just the onlyborn from the dead. The firstborn, because there's more that are coming. And as He rose, so too every one of His people will rise in His footsteps. And so, He's not just our example showing us how it is to be a witness. He is our hope showing us that no matter how bad it gets as a witness, Resurrection's coming for the people of God. He is the firstborn from the dead. And then also, 
He is the ruler of the kings on earth. The kings on earth may hate God and mock God and rail against God and hate God's people and injustice may abound. But His power bounds their power. It sets the limits on their power. The limits in the magnitude of their power and the duration of their power are set by the one who is the ruler of the kings of the earth. We don't just walk out into this world hoping things turn out well. We know the one in the room where it happens who sets the course of history. And yes, a lot of bad stuff is going to happen in this book. And a lot of bad stuff to God's people. And all of that bounded by the love and grace and wisdom and goodness of the one on the throne. So, these three phrases. He is the faithful witness showing us how to follow after Him. He's the firstborn from the dead giving us hope as we follow Him. And He's the ruler of the kings of the earth giving us strength and protection and all that we need while we live in this crazy world. The boundaries are set beyond which evil cannot flow. And regardless of where we are in history, the ruler of the kings of the earth can give us the grace and peace that we need to follow Him. Doesn't it make you want to worship Jesus? John agrees. That's exactly what he does. He can't even get through the opening to his letter. He has to do this. Pause for a song. Breaks out in song. At least that's how I hear him doing it. After saying that he's the ruler of the kings of the earth, he says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love John's heart for, for his Savior. Now John routinely throughout the book of John doesn't use his own name. You know how he refers to himself? The disciple that Jesus loved. And now here he is saying, oh yes, he loves us. And he is worthy of praise. How does, how does he love us? This is a personal affection. This isn't some distant affection. Do I have your eyes? It is a personal affection, friend. If you know the Lord... His affection is for you here. How do you know that? You don't see that in your life all the time particularly well. Well, John tells us where we can see that. He loves us and freed us from our sins by His blood. Do you want to know the love of Christ for you? Find it right here. He freed us from our sins. Friend, as we go through Revelation, you're going to need to cling to that phrase right there. He freed us from our sin. This is what we have to take with us. This promise of grace and peace and the fact that He freed us because we're going to come face to face over and over and over with the wrath of God. And your heart is going to tremble. And it should because we know that we're sinners. And we're going we're to see His wrath poured out again and again and again and then, and then finally, finally poured out in the last judgment. And before all that, we're reminded we have been freed 
from our sin. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. He freed us from our sins. And He freed us from our sins by His blood. This was not a cheap enterprise. This was costly for the Son of God to do by taking our sins upon Himself and suffering upon the cross. That's the Jesus who loves us. And that's the Jesus who's returning. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him, even so. Amen. Who is the one who is returning? Well, it is the Jesus who loves us that's returning. It is the Jesus who freed us from our sins that is returning. Glory to God. But you can, you can already see. You can already see what's happening and going to happen in the book of Revelation. We're going to talk about Jesus returning. And it's not going to be like the first time. Because He's going to return in glory. And He will be cheered by the saints and feared by the world. And He will come in righteous wrath. And all the tribes on the earth will mourn on account of Him. But the one who comes to bring recompense for sin has already endured the recompense for our sin. Glory to God. So, we have made it to the heart of the book of Revelation. We found it in John's heart as he bursts out into praise right here at the beginning. What's the heart of the book of Revelation? Jesus Christ is the heart of the book of Revelation. It is, after all, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right there, for verse 1, is about Him. And, and John can't even begin to describe, like, here, grace from Jesus, basically what he says. He's like, oh, Jesus, we got to just stop and worship right now. This is the heart of the book. May God give us eyes to see Jesus as we go through this book. The revelation of who, the, of who He is that we would be caught up into this worship as John is, that we would say alongside him, yes, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, that we would have that, that word maranatha on our tongues. Do you, you know that? That word simply means come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Worship team, come on up. I want us, I know we always end in prayer. I want us to end in prayer this morning in light of what we just read. Pray for grace and peace as we walk through this. Pray for ears to hear and then the actions that follow that we would be blessed as we read through. So let's stand together. Pray with me as I pray for us. Lord, we wait for You. We look for You. We rely upon You. God, we ask that You would bless this church in Spotsylvania County, each of us, Lord, with grace and peace. The grace to follow after You. 
would you give this to us, Father, Lord of history, who is and was and is to come? Would you give this by your Spirit, fully present and at work, and in whom we trust, on whom we rely? And would you give this, Jesus, the one who loves us and freed us from our sin? Give us grace to hear, grace to listen, grace to respond, grace to persevere, grace to love you as we walk through our lives and as we study this book. And come, Lord Jesus. We long for that day, that day when we will see you. Amen.